yesterday also. All right. So today's topic is what is chesed? Right? So last last time we spoke, let me just open the door. Um, the last few times we met, <laughs> we were talking about Zilcher Chaste Avos, that Hashem recalls the chesed of the Avos, and we took a few different approaches to that, and I did sort of promise you that today there would be another another piece to that puzzle, which I hope we will find. But the essential topic is, what is chesed? And again, in discovering what chesed is, so there was this discovery of clarity on v'zocher chasteavos, which I guess is really the point. It wasn't really only to have the curiosity of the chesed, but this is very... Um, very beautiful, very beautiful stuff, which is maybe not surprising because it's chesed, which is kind of at the root of everything, right? Olam chesed yibone. The world is built on chesed or with chesed. So shouldn't be surprising that it becomes so fundamental. All right, so I'm going to start with some definitions. Um, Rav Hirsch says, in, I, I'm going to bring a lot of Rav Hirsch from a lot of different places. So, you know, it's not only from him, but... You'll hear his name a lot. Rav Hirsch says in his commentary on Bracious Memhe that the word chesed has its root in chas or chasas. I'm not sure I've ever seen chasas conjugated exactly that way, but he says that's related to chashash. So chashash is a more familiar word, at least in modern Hebrew. Chashash is a suspicion. So you think something may be a certain way. Um, and it certainly has a somewhat negative connotation, meaning a chashash is you, you have a suspicion or a concern about something. Something's wrong or somebody might be doing something that is not out in the open and, and clear. But chasas, he says, is to have consideration for something, to have scruples about it. That this is somehow the root of chesed. So whereas chashash has a negative tint to it, suspicion, chasas doesn't have a negative. It's considering something. It's having scruples about it. It's um, thinking about it deeply, what it needs, and being careful to provide for what is needed or to act with integrity about it. Okay. Um, Rabbi Orlowick, I've heard him say many times, the root of chesed is chas. Chas is a word we come across. Um, it can be a little hard to, to define. Um, tachus, which is where Rav Hirsch said about the chasas, tachus is usually described as maybe having, uh, having pity on somebody or I'm just giving like kind of a, a generic usage. Not, not the deeper usages we're going to look at, like the Torah definitions, but um, to have pity on somebody or compassion or feel sorry for them so that, you know, maybe they really deserved something worse or they could, you know, you, you would judge them badly, but you kind of feel sorry for them and you realize that, you know, maybe they couldn't help it or something. Um, but that, I'm not sure that's the Torah definition fully. Um, the other place you come across this a little more colloquially is chas al kvodo. If a person forgives their honor in the sense that, let's say, um, 
I'm trying to think of an example without accidentally saying something that's anti-halachic. A parent, a person is obligated to stand up for their parents when they come into the room, for example. So the question in halacha is how, you know, how much do you have to stand up for your parents? Every time they come into the room, is once a day enough? Is one, whatever, it depends, you know, so we, we can find that out. But um, a parent is permitted to be mochel on his kavod. So parents permitted to say, you know what, don't stand up for me, it's fine. Maybe it makes me feel uncomfortable, or maybe what if, what if the child has a leg problem, you know, the parent, you know, or their kid is pregnant. They can say, don't stand up for me, it's fine, I don't mind, I know you honor me and respect me anyway. That may or may not be a good idea to be mochel on the kavod, because it could be that the natural way of the halacha <laughs> is actually the most healthy way to have the relationship, but they could do that. You could call, you could say the opposite. Actually, I'm not, I'm not even sure about what I was about to say. I don't want to continue saying it because I, I may say it wrong. I may translate I'm, I'm not going to go there just because it's a colloquialism and I, now I just realized I have to look it up. I may be saying it wrong. Now let me go back to Rabbi Orlowick, who I heard him say this a few times. I'm pretty sure I won't say it wrong. He says, chas is when you look at someone else and you see yourself in them. That could be me. That is me. That's an extension of me. This person is part of me. When you see yourself, it could be that this person is part of you because they're related to you. It could be this person is part of you because you care about them so much. It could be that you've managed to expand your definition of self to include more people in your family, in your community, in your nation, in your neighborhood, to feel that they are all part of you. Um, it could be that you just realize you could just as well be them. That could be me. It's not about that I made great choices and they made bad choices. Maybe this is something that could be me just as well, right? Um, in the halachas of Bikr Cholim, the halach of Bikr Cholim is performed most ideally when you visit someone who is approximately your age and from your background or your city. You grew up together, right? Because the more similar your background is, and we've talked about this before, the more you see yourself in the other person. The less you think, yeah, but that's somebody else, that's a different situation, that, and you can kind of push it away because it's unpleasant to think that it could happen to you, right? So we tend to push away and think, oh, that's not me. The more similar you are to someone in where you come from and where you've been, the less able your mind is to try and make an argument that you guys are so different. And the more you then actually identify with the person who's unwell, that increases the beaker holim. It makes it better. Not just because you've overcome something harder, like it's harder to... No. It's that you have much more sympathy. You have much more of this feeling of chas. That you look at the person and you see yourself in them. Right? When you daven for them, a little bit like what we were talking about last week, you can feel some of your own pain and your own fear in that prayer. <coughs> that's for them. It is a little bit for yourself. But that's a good thing. That's not a selfish thing. It's the opposite. It's taking that and building onto it for the other person. Okay. Chesed is the behavior stemming from chas. That's how Rabbi Orlo translates it. I'm not sure if that's based on, I don't know if that's his own chiddush. I didn't hear him say it from someone else, so I don't know. Um, he usually says if it's his own chiddush, and I, didn't, I don't remember him saying that. Um, it's also possible that it's ultimately derived out of Rav Hirsch or wherever Rav Hirsch derived it from, because you'll see that it fits in. Okay, so chesed, the root of chesed is chas. Chesed being the action, chas being the feeling behind it.
Now, elsewhere, refers on Bereshit's Chavdal and Chavzayin, which is when Eliezer is um, meeting Rivka. So there are actually quite a few pieces here that we can learn about Chesed from. Because what's he looking for in this first Jewish wife? He's looking for a woman or a girl who will do Chesed. Right? So we have lessons on Chesed in this whole exchange. But in this case, in this particular, there's another place though, <clears throat> which is he thanks Hashem when she, when she offers him all this chesed. And then she says, and you can come and stay with us, and there's straw for the animals. And the man bows down to Hashem, the man being Eliezer, right? And Eliezer says, Boruch Hashem Avraham. Blessed is Hashem, the Lord. Master of my master, Avraham, Asher lo azav chasto va'amito me'im adoni, who has not discarded, is how we're first person, azav is like abandoned, but that doesn't fit here. You don't abandon chesed, who has discarded chesed, who has not discarded his chesed and his truth from my master. Okay, so what is the chesed? What ahava is in feelings, chesed is in deeds, love translated into action, which by itself is pretty awesome. <laughs> but it also means that we're going to have to go learn about love in addition to chesed if we were going to want to understand what chesed is. Because chesed is love. It's what love looks like in action. Love, ahava, is what love looks like in feelings. Trying to keep track of these pages for a different class. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Don't get much farther. <laughs> you said that uh, Orlowick said that behavior that is based on seeing yourself in, in someone the other. else right. is chesed. It's called chesed. And here I said something different. I said that Rav Hirsch said right. that ahava is the root, so to speak. Right. Okay. So when we get to the part about Ahava, you'll see that it's not really a contradiction. So it's okay. But I've also heard um, that that a deeper level of, of Chesed is to see what the other person's needs are, which are not your needs, to see something. Right. Not just what I think not, I would want right, in that situation, right. and therefore, just seeing, right. you know, this this is a reflection of me, but to actually see the other and their needs as different from my needs. That's interesting. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that's true or not. Meaning I remember having conversations like that, you know, and it certainly is aggravating when somebody's idea of doing chesed is doing what they want to do and nothing to do with what I need having done, right? That's more of a burden sometimes than a help. But that doesn't necessarily come from seeing anything in the other person. Right? That comes from wanting to be somebody who took action and helped out and is important. That's not necessarily... It's a little bit different from looking at the other. I don't think that if somebody looks at somebody and realizes that that could be them lying there, that that's the source of their providing chesed that is oblivious to the needs of the other person and only thinking about what they would want. I think what it opens up is the realization that 
if I was the one lying there or if I was the one who didn't have food, mm-hmm. I would really want somebody to ask me what I want or, you know, mm-hmm. like find out what the halacha is or something. Like, I, I don't think that it comes from too much identification with the other person. Mm-hmm. It's just a gut feeling. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't prove it to you. <laughs> but if that's what you're talking about, which it might not be, but if that sort of like, or the person is doing the chesed that they want to do, mm-hmm. or the chesed, you know, it's not really coming from if I were in that position, what would I want? It is a little. It can be. You know, oh, I love having lots of visitors, therefore I will overwhelm this person with big long visits while they're in the hospital. But that, that comes from not really seeing the other person. Because if you are looking at them and you see that they look tired, then you would say, I love having people come visit me, you know, but when I'm tired, I wouldn't, you know, yeah, like, that was what I was for like so I don't know. I don't know. It could be that some of that, it could be that we'll find that there's clarity on that too. Okay, here's another case of it. Um, I just, this is just an example of Rav Hirsch actually putting into practice what he just said. Well, not into practice, but in translation, what he just said. Okay. Um, Lot says to the Malachim, Bracious Yud Tess, Yud Tess. Lot says to the Malachim, um, you know, thanks for coming to, to get me. Behold, I have found favor in your eyes. One second. Okay. Um, and you have increased, you have been very great in your chesed that you have done with me to keep my soul alive. To keep, to keep me alive. Okay. So how does reverse translate that? Thou hast let thy love be great, which thou hast practiced onto me to save my life. You see what he did? He said, because what does it mean that you have done a lot of chesed? It means you have shown me a lot of love. You have shown a lot of love through the action. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting, it's an interesting case of how, he doesn't say it in the commentary here. But you can see how he got there. I, I'm not sure exactly why he got there. I didn't spend a lot of time exploring why he felt he had to do that in his translation. Not just say like, thanks for the kindness. But... But you can understand the logic behind it because he's already said, Ahava is, I wish I knew this by heart, honestly. I did once. What Ahava is in feelings, Chesed is in deeds, but translated into action. Love translated into action. Okay, so love. <laughs> so let's find out what does Rav Hirsch think love is. What is love then? If, if, love is, if, if Chesed is love translated into action, then what is love? Because what we're going to find is the actions associated with love are the chesed. So it's not just like, oh, here's another area we can explore. I won't really know what chesed is if I don't really know what love is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Rav Hirsch, it's really unbelievable that the Rav Shalom sent a man like this to this planet and that he achieved what he achieved and left it for us. Okay. And Harav has an essay on love. He he roots it in the pasuk, kamocha ani Hashem. You can hear it all right there. Ve'ahavta, you shall love. Which always right away you think ve'ahavta is Hashem alokecha, but no, Hashem says, yeah, I want that ringing in the back of your mind when I say ve'ahavta lereacha kamocha, love your friend, love your companion, love your neighbor. As yourself. 
Ani Hashem, I am God. Okay, so already you can tell that Hashem really wanted you to have ringing in the back of your mind. I'm not going to read the entire essay, but I am going to read some excerpts. To see in your fellow man something else than merely your rival for the acquisition of the good things of the earth. Not to look upon his good as an encroachment on yours, to let your neighbor have the spot of earth on which God has set him, as he has set you on yours, and even to let him prosper on it. All this amounts merely to not hating him, not yet to loving him. Just the fact that I say, you know what, I realize that you are not a competition to me. If you win the lottery, doesn't mean I can't also have a lot of money. If you have a job, it doesn't take away from me. I have heard stories, you hear them especially in Eretz Yisrael. People, somebody moving to a new city or a new place, and they open up their business, and the person with the competing business takes them and shows them the ropes. I, I saw this myself. This is something that you, it's in, almost inconceivable to believe it's true, except that this was the, the reality in the neighborhood I lived in in Israel. Um, the neighborhood, we, uh, just up the street, a, a couple, block or two, there was a little, mini mall is really glorifying it, but anyway, they call them the Chanuyot, the shops on Panamiros. And in the Chanuyot, there, there's a dry cleaner, there's a bank, there's a fruit stand, there's a sort of a snack, nosh, nuts kind of store, and two makolets, two um, small neighborhood markets. Okay. And, and for a while there was a butcher and, you know, that butcher went out, something else came in. Okay. So there are these two makolets and, you know, people compare, like, is the price this? Is the price that? You know, they know certain things are cheaper in this makolet, certain things are cheaper in that makolet. One of the makolets, the one on the, on the end, um, it's owned by a man. I, I don't know who owns it, actually. It's run by a man named Gavriel. I don't know if he owns it or his father because... As long as I can remember, there have been three generations of men working in this store. There's the father, who's very old. There's the, uh, the grandfather, who's very old. There's the father, Gavriel, who's, I don't know, last, I don't know, maybe 60. And there's a son who also helps out in the store. Um, this man, Gavriel, you know, this, the neighborhood where I lived is the black belt of Jerusalem. You know, I mean, a lot of black hats, black suits, black, you know people learning full-time, right? Gabriel wears a knitted yarmulke. He's clean-shaven. He doesn't have a beard. Doesn't wear a suit jacket. Um, Gabriel is a tzaddik. And I think everybody knows Gabriel is a tzaddik. So you see little things. Um, one time I had occasion to go and pay off a debt for somebody, for a family that was struggling. Mm. So one of the things that we realized was let's go and find out do they owe money to the makola because it's really normal there you know they keep little index cards mm -hmm. and people take and they pay later and they write down the debt now what that means is that the man who owns the makola has paid for the food and has now given it to someone else but hasn't received any more money but they still got to stock the makola um so we came in and i said you know regarding such and such a family do they owe you money so he said I'll check. He understood right away that it's going to get paid. So he pulls out the card and he tallies it up. Yeah, they owe him 2,500 shekel. Um, 
Over $600. Yeah, well over $600. That's a lot of money to owe the supermarket. I mean, especially in Israel. Okay. He has an entire box full of index cards. That's one family. He's carrying... He's carrying all that debt for people. Okay. That's amazing. I, I was blown away by that. Okay. I'll tell you the... Uh, a P.S. to that. Um, the last time I was in Israel, I had a chance to just stop in the store and pick something up and kind of got into a conversation with him. And it was very, very cold. There was a blizzard. So it was really, really, really cold. Um, and he somehow this came out. His apartment is really, really cold. And he lives in a third floor walk up. So he's under the roof and it's very, very cold and he doesn't have central heat. He's got a little heater. It's just very cold. And I'm thinking to myself, you're still carrying the debt for all these people, this revolving door of debt, and you don't have heat in your house? He's not a rich man and he's doing this. That's why I'm sharing this with you. I hope he doesn't mind. He probably would mind. But anyway, <laughs> I think we could learn from it anyway. So it should be as a chus for you, Gabriel. You should have bracha and hatzlacha and good health and everything that's good and nachas from your children. And be a nachas to the Rivona Shalom. He's not a rich man. Okay, if he was making a killing in this makolet of his. Okay, let me tell you another story about Gavriel. I never really thought about who owns those storefronts. Oh, there's also a tambor. There's a housewares kind of little place, you know, repair kind of stuff. Okay. And then, at some point... For many, many years, the other, the second makolet that's in that mini mall was next door to Gavriel's mini mall, um, market. They weren't just in the same little <laughs> right angle kind of thing. Now they're on opposite legs, which is all of 30 feet away or something. But they used to be actually next door. Like you could walk into the wrong one by accident. Okay. And at some point, the one next to him closed down. I think it was probably when the butcher moved and then they ended up moving into there. Okay. And that was when somehow I found out that their lease had been up. A couple of the leases, I guess, had come up at the same time. So one of them, they had decided to close down after a lot of years and they left. And he had thought, because his market, it's like pretty tight, you know, and narrow, and it turns out that Gabriel or his father or whoever, they owned that whole property and they rent out the storefronts. Um, and he thought, you know, if the lease is up, whatever, maybe I'll expand my store into their space, which was a smaller space, but it will make mine like bigger and nicer and it'll help me to stay competitive because then a supermarket opened a couple blocks away. So that was really hard for, that's why the butcher closed. You know, I mean, it made it harder for all of them. So he's gonna open up down there. And either the guy who owned the market or the neighbors took him, I wouldn't say they didn't take him to Baisden, but they took him for a din Torah, so to speak, at, by Rav Gans. Rav Gans lives three buildings away, and he's pretty much, he's the posake of this neighborhood, Rav Yisrogans. I've mentioned him before. I know that because I was just re-listening to a different shear to prepare for another shear, <laughs> and I heard myself tell about Rav Gans, so I'm not going to do that. All right. They took him to Rav Gans, 
who in fact poskined that it's better for the neighborhood to have two makolets because then there's competition. Even with the supermarket. So he said, okay. And he rented them out a storefront again. He's renting out his own property to his own competition. Because hmm. that's Das Torah. This is an un... If you, if, if you didn't see these people for yourself, it's hard to believe there are people who could think that way, who could actually see other people as not being competition. This is not about competition. God provide. You know, like, what color is your hat? What color is your yarmulke? That's not what shows your emunah bitachon. That kind, a deep understanding that everything that I have will be given to me, is given to me, and that everything I require is given to me, and everything I don't have is not required. But, but, but whatever someone else has is not going to take away from me. What I have is between me and God. There's nothing to do with them. That's an amazing thing. To see in your fellow man something else than merely your rival, all of this is not hating him. It's not yet loving him. That's what, like, <laughs> that's not even the topic, right? We're on love and we're on chesed. But just to understand what that means, how much godless it takes to not see other people as competition, as competition for affection or attention or love or time or money or housing or clothing, right? Anything. To love your neighbor means to see in him the one condition of your own existence, of your own welfare, of your fulfilling your mission as a human and an Israelite. I'm halfway through the sentence, but it's rehearsed, so. Okay. And so, in the desire for your own being and living, to include the desire for your neighbors also. I couldn't live without you. I need you. Therefore, if I am thinking about what I want for my own ability to live, you are included in that. You can see how what, what Rav Orluik said is not a contradiction to what Rav Hirsch said. In fact, it might have been derived from here or from the same source, from a common source. The indispensable condition of your being, your welfare, and your mission. Who could be so dull as to not feel this? Um, me. <laughs> <laughs> to see other people as an indispensable condition. Indispensable conditions means my life depends on them. Do I see other people as if my life depends on their well-being? I, I could be that dull. <laughs> Okay, fortunately, he's going to explain what he means by that in order that if you were too dull to figure it out for yourself, at least once he says it, you could not be so dull as to not appreciate it. And then you will see it. Imagine for a moment, if you will, because your brain will try not to. So this is homework. Imagine for a moment that all your fellow men whom God has placed at your side have disappeared and that you are alone on the desolate earth. What would be your existence? What pleasure could you have? Still more, what would become of your life mission if you were not able to love and do kindness? This is a very deep sentence. Okay, piece number one, 
what kind of life would you have? What kind of pleasure would you have if it's just you? No one to share it with. No one to talk to. No, this, that alone is enough to make you realize that other people are, what was that word? The indispensable condition of your being. But now he ratcheted it up. Still more, right? What was still more? What would be your mission? What purpose would your life even have? Worse than living life feeling completely alone without other people, right? Which Choni Hama'agel said, Oh, Chavrusa, O Misusa. He finally said to God, either give me somebody who's Chavrusa, meaning like, like my age who understands me, or I'm going to die. But even worse than that, there's something worse, which would be to be there all by yourself and realize that there is no purpose to your life. There's, no, there's nothing you add to anybody because there isn't anybody. Nobody needs you if you were not able to love and do kindness. You have been created to be a blessing. We've seen Rav Hirsch on that, right? On the word Baruch. What he, the bracha to Avraham, the bracha, you shall be a blessing. Through you, God will be, will be blessed because his bracha will be brought to others. You have been created to be a blessing and you would have no one who would receive your blessing. You have been born to do kindnesses. You are meant to support, to sustain, to comfort, to instruct, to nourish, to make happy, to revive. And you would have no one for whom you could do all this. Do you not see that it is only in association with mankind as a whole that God endows your work with permanence? Mankind takes up the work of each individual and itself undying becomes the heir to it. Meaning every one individual only has a finite life. But in becoming a part of a greater community of people, that community of people, of humanity, lives on. Right? Adam Harishon, with one hand, was told that he was going to die, and with the other hand was given the blessing of children. So that, in fact, he did not die. He died, and yet, he continued. And each of those children dies, and yet continues. But that's only if you're part of it, if you're part of the group. Without it, your work would be but a dream. It's a fantasy. You would not be able to implement it, and even if you did, it would disappear with you. This is worth a lot of study. That leads right into Kahelas. <laughs> it's worth a lot of study. It's like, right, Rav Hirsch doesn't make things up. He just doesn't always tell you where he got it from, because it's often an amalgam of many, many different ideas together that he's now fused into one whole, right? But this... To, to dwell on it and to repeat it and to visualize it and to, I don't know, I think this is a worthwhile avoda. It's worth spending some time on our own to try and cultivate that, that feeling that how much we need and appreciate other people. How grateful we are. You know, yes, our kids can be nudges or yes, our spouse can be insensitive or yes, our friends can neglect us or go off with other friends. But you know what? Our life would be much poorer without them if they weren't there at all. And it really helps to reframe one minute. I was so angry at them. I was so, I was so frustrated. I want it to be better. I want it to be different. I fantasize it should be different. It's somebody else. 
all of that is, is nothing. It's really nothing. Thank God they're here. Thank God we have them in our lives, that we have each other. But we can go still higher, says Rafersh. You wouldn't think so. <laughs> We've already ratcheted it up twice. <laughs> okay? We started with not seeing others as competition. That was just not hating. Loving means that I see in you the basis for my life. And then he ratcheted it up again. If not for you, my life would not have meaning. And now he's saying we can go still higher. So I think like, I think that what he is saying is, um, is that you would probably work on this in stages, meaning not necessarily going to jump to the highest level, but you can work your way up. Um, I also think that I, I have a pencil here. I just want to make a note of it. I, I think that actually, and it, I assume it's intentional because he does this a lot. I think they actually correspond, meaning that we could ultimately love other people at every level of who they are. And just like each human being, meaning myself, even though, even, just like I have levels of myself in which I interact with each level of the world, at the level of the physical, at the level of the emotional, at the level of the intellectual, at the level of the spiritual, I can love others in the same way. And I think that that's what he's, uh, he's saying. So hang on one second. Um, I'm just going to make a note of that for future thought. Um, okay. Okay. But we can go still higher. I, the Lord... Because remember it said, Ve'ohavta, Lereacha, Kamocha, Ani Hashem. We can go still higher. I, the Lord, the personification of love, am father of all beings around you, and have called them all, like you, to life and well-being. I love you, God says. I have brought you to life and well-being. For the purpose of well-being, not to make you suffer. Also, all those people around you that are driving you bananas, I also love them, and I also call them into life and well-being. If you love me, and because you love me, love my children. Rejoice in their well-being. See in each my work, my child. In his welfare, the prospering of my work and my child. In his woe, the decay of my work, the suffering of my child. Love, therefore, the master in the work, the father in the child. Finally, Ani Hashem, I am the Lord, who has chosen man to be the instrument of this love. Meaning God who loves us, Hashem, Yud and He, and Vav and He, who created the world with Chesed, and who loves us, has chosen man to be the instrument of this love. What, what does that mean? The tool that does the production, right? So if I have a trumpet and it's the instrument of the music, who's, who's playing the music? It's not actually the trumpet. And yet the trumpet is the instrument of it. That's how you hear it turn into music. All right. We are the instrument of God's love. He sends it through us. That's back to the Veheye Bracha concept. Do you, man, not see how this love is the finest flower of this mission? 
How do you raise yourself above the stone and the plant and the animal? Is it not through devoting yourself of your own free will to the welfare of the world around you? And this is just what love affects. In other words, when his finally, right, which is sort of like yet another level, is, is the action of the love. And we saw in Bereshis, how did he define chesed? Chesed is love in action, indeed. Okay, so how do you change your, the finest flower of the mission of being the instrument of love is being the instrument, like the actualization of that into, into something physical and active. How else could you say that you're any different from a stone, a plant, an animal? if not for the fact that you do for others. This is just what love affects. That's with an E, because that's the chesed. Your whole activity belongs to God's world. First then, belong to it with the source of your activity, with your heart. Carry in it love for God's world, and above all for your fellow man, the first and worthiest recipient of your beneficent activity. Carry love in your heart. It is this which makes you a person and an Israelite. This love in you, if it is genuine, expresses itself in deeds, with which, to the best of your ability, you promote the progress of the world around you to that state of welfare in which your love requires that you should desire to behold it. The rules that should guide you in the practice of this love so that you should not do mischief under the mistaken impression that you are promoting welfare are revealed in the whole of the Torah. That's Hillel, right? Zeklau Gadol Torah, Ve'ahav Talareacha Kamocha, and then go learn the rest. That's basically everything. You hear what he just did with that? <laughs> okay? If you, are go, if you realize that this is your mission in life, is to promote the progress of the world around you to the state of welfare, which your love requires, you should desire to behold it. Now you want to know how you do that. That's what the Torah tells you how to get the world to be in that state of, of happiness and good welfare that it ought to be and that you wish for it because of your love for it, because of the one who created it, who loves it. With respect to your fellow men, this is the rule of love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, he's a miracle. It's awesome to think there's all the parts we have no idea where the sources are, and yet he has managed to blend them together in this way, let alone the bits that we've heard over the years and just realize how he, he saw... Okay, the book Chorev is not the Torah. It's about Torah. It's a slice. It's, it's one unbelievable genius and loving and caring person teaching over the Torah as best as he learned it from his teachers and putting it into our language. The gift of, of just this book, let alone his commentary on Torah, it's like, when you say like Dayenu? It's, di- it's like Dayenu. But, it, but God didn't just give us the works of Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch. He gave us the Torah. He gave us the Torah Shabbat Peh. He gave us the Ibn Ezra, and the Ramban, and the Balei Tosfos, and the Orachayim, and Rabbeinu Bachya. And Rav Sadia Gaon, and Rav Hai Gaon, and all the Tanoim and Amoraim, and all the rabbis in our own generation. That's enough. I don't know. How would we live? I, 
I don't know how we would live. How we would know how to live. Okay. What does the book name Chorev mean? Oh, there's a whole introduction about it, oh, so okay. I won't Sorry. explain it. Feel free. But Chorev is either Harsinai or the mountain opposite Harsinai, depending on, yeah. But it's Harsinai. I mean, it's the giving of the Torah, so to speak, right? It's a, it is a Matan Torah, the book Chorev. Okay. So now I want to um, continue with, I mean, this is, sums up quite a lot of it, but I do want to continue a bit with more about chesed. Believe it or not, we could learn even more about chesed. So for that, I turn to Rav Hirsch's explanation. I was not intentionally like only looking at Rav Hirsch, but there it is. This is what's meant. Okay, Rav Hirsch on the Yud Gimomidos Harachamim. Okay, we just had that in the Parsha. It's in Kisisa. Right after the Chaita Egel. Mm-hmm. And Hashem reveals to Moshe these 13. Uh, let's see what he translates them as. I don't know what you could call them. I mean, they're called the 13 attributes or something, but I don't know. The way that he comes into translating them, not translating, explaining is uh, is worth learning from on its own. Listen to this, just just for the Musar of it. Moses sought the uniformity in all this multiform diversity. He's saying, like, what is the common theme? There must, I mean, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And yet, sometimes it looks like there's so much chesed, sometimes so much gvuras, and like, what is all this? He had presumed to desire to lay hold of this uniformity, this unity at its very source by a direct sight of the personal godly being himself, so that from this direct sight he could gain an insight into the harmonious uniformity of the apparently diverse ways of God's rule and government. This a priori knowledge was denied him, but the divine uniformity in all the diversity of his rule, the diversity arising from this uniformity, he was to see and be taught to understand. This is now here shown him and explained to him. What he actually saw remains unknown to us. But the words, the quote, names, by which that which he saw was explained to him, are told us. Those we can try stammeringly to follow and attempt some understanding of them. Just, that's Moser. You only wish you could hear him say it himself, mm-hmm. right? To, to see a great person and hear them say the words, you know, you, you learn something more about, about what it means to be a Torah person directly. Okay, so why are we here? Because in the midst of these words that we would stammer, even just to say, really, right? Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech Apayim, Virav Chesed, the MS, Notzer Chesed La'alofim, comes in twice. Virav Chesed, I'm just going to use his translation. Virav Chesed Ve'emes, full of love and truth. Notzer Chesed La'alofim, exercising, or Notzer means also like a budding, I think is how he also describes it like as a plant, like flowering or creating, like Litzor, like Yetzirah's creation by formation. Notzer chesed la'alafim. Exercising love for the thousandth generation. 
Alafim is thousands and th okay. All right. So now I'm, I'm just, I didn't mark it, obviously, in the Chumash, so I copied out. So I'm going to read from here. Um, hmm. I did both. From inside, but here at least it's marked. Okay. Rav Chesed. Uh, what do we say? Full of love. Now, over here, this is describing Hashem um, performing or acting upon us, but it will give us an idea of what chesed is about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rav chesed, who appears so infinitely rich, the Rav, abundant in, full of love, in furthering the efforts, in fulfilling the desires of those who are striving and desiring in the right direction. Okay. So one thing that that tells, uh, first of all, just to absorb the idea that this is how God relates to us is pretty powerful. But our focus today is not so much on that as on us doing chesed, <laughs> right? Zocher chastayavos, we were saying, is, seems to be about our chesed, people's chesed, avos, right? Okay. That chesed would be, could be defined as furthering the efforts of someone else. Trying to make them more successful. Who shows himself so robbed, so great, so rich, just in devoting his love to giving satisfaction and happiness to any of his creatures. And then in parentheses, chesed, love. The complete devotion to another. Okay, now I'm going to move down. Notzer chesed la'alafim. God exercises love. Oh, that's why he got there. Okay, because... Rav Hirsch says that chesed is love in deed, right? So notzer chesed, forming or creating chesed, he translated as exercising love, right? Like love in action. I didn't even catch that when I, originally, when I saw that translation before. Okay, you realize what he did. He, he used it according to his own definition. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to define notzer chesed lalaf, not define to stammeringly seek to understand something about the words that were used to describe the vision of Moshe. Who does not restrict the love he gives to his beloved ones to themselves. All right, let me just stop on that for a second. It's like, right, <laughs> blink, blink. <laughs> okay, notzer means to create or to form. Yitzira, in terms of creation, is formation by shaping, right? let's say, confining something so that it will take a definite shape, like a mold, right? When you pour the metal into the mold, the mold is yotzer. It, it, it confines the material, but in doing so, allows it to take its material form. Otherwise, it has no form. It's pure material or pure potential. In terms of creation, we would say it's, it's potential, right? Because now it's been created, and yet it hasn't taken any form yet. So the notzer is the giving it form. Notzer chesed, okay, that's the love indeed, becoming formed. The love being formed is notzer chesed. La'alafim, to the thousandth generation. Now I'm going to reread it. Who does not restrict the love he gives to his beloved ones to themselves, but rather notzer chesed la'alafim. God gives his chesed and he shapes it and confines it not to just you and your life and your life span. He does chesed for us that spans 
thousands of generations, all descendants, I mean, thousands of generations is so long it hasn't happened yet. We're talking about all of our descendants after us. Okay, let me finish, because that was just like a clause. From from the Avos to us. From whenever, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who does not restrict the love he gives to his beloved ones to themselves, does not pour out his blessings on them alone, but grants them the highest of all blessings. There is a higher blessing than just receiving God's blessing. That all blessings become a seed of happiness, working on a thousandfold in time and eternity. Now remember that in Chorev, when Rav Hirsch spoke of Ahava, he told us that the highest level of loving others is to love them as God's children. Because you love me, love my children. Love, therefore, the master in the work, the father in the child. Look, God does this to us. In loving us, he loves our children. And we are children of the Avos. In loving them, he loves their children. Which is also a way now to understand Zocher Chaste, Avos. Hi, Ma. She might want a little more air clearance, you think? Just tired out. Yeah. Okay. Just good breathing. Yeah, we're proud of you. We're proud of you. <laughs> Above all, that goodness itself becomes a tree of happiness and salvation for the farthest thousandth generation, so that the effect of any man's fate or that of any nation is not merely for his own individual self and the duration of his own lifetime, but is felt by all his contemporaries as well as by the whole future. Only he can begin to estimate the love which is showered on good people, who includes the whole extent of the blessing which God's providence allows to blossom, because Notzer can also be blossoming, which God's providence allows to blossom out of the lives and endeavors of good people to all their contemporaries. To understand God's chesed to us, you'd have to see how the chesed that he, that he blossoms out through people, through good people, that affects everyone around them and above all to their children and children's children down to the thousandth generation. What is the mere self-enjoyment of an abundance of all worthy worldly blessings reckoned against the recompensing bliss of such a root and bud existence for the future blessing of a line of descendants reaching down to all time? It's like not even a hard call, right? Okay, now I'm skipping a bit. Chesed is both the highest degree of doing good which human beings can accomplish, which is amazing because elsewhere, which I think I'm going to bring, Rav Hirsch points out, oh, I have to have it here because I was, knocked my socks right off. You know? Yeah. He points out, you don't have to have money to do chesed. You don't, there's very little physically, that you need to have to be able to do chesed. And yet, chesed is both the highest degree of doing good which human beings can accomplish and the highest expression for the love that God shows to human beings. It's also, I'm I'm now thinking, you know, sometimes, men especially, they don't always talk, like, much and say, even if they do talk, they don't necessarily say, I love you. They forget, like, women like to hear that, you know. You have to look at the actions. Sometimes I love you looks like someone taking out the garbage. Sometimes I love you looks like somebody balancing a checkbook, right? Sometimes I love you looks like somebody going to work every day. Sometimes I love you looks like somebody getting up and turning off the light while you're sleeping. 
Chesed is Ahava in deed, which means that when you see the deed, you can look back and understand from that that the person is speaking a language of Ahava. Okay. God allows his greatest love, which a good man has won, to become a bud of blessing for all his descendants. God exercises his greatest love. Exercises here, I think, was how the translator, I'm not sure what the German was originally, but this is turning it into action. Right? We know that because we saw that elsewhere. In allowing a good man to become a source, a root, and a bud of salvation and happiness to his children and children's children down the ages. Actually... Both come to the same thing. And this can be the explanation of a peculiarity which we find in the explanations of our Chachamim. He says there's a sort of a strange question you'd have to have when you read Chazals, when you look at the Gemara or the Mishnah. They very frequently take the term Chaste Hashem, God's kindnesses, to refer to the acts of chesed which men are to do. Okay, so he just explained that one of the greatest expressions of God's love is the chesed that he does for us by providing people who give that chesed to us. Right? That a good person in doing kindness merits that his kindness, that God's love and kindness is spread out through all of his contemporaries and his community and his descendants. That is an expression of God's love as well, as it is of the person's love, the good person's love. All right. He says, for example, the Gemara Yerushalmi in Kiddushin says, I love it, you know, it's another one of those things where we hear it all the time, but we don't see it inside, right? Like, when was the last time? So say, when's the last time I looked at a Talmud Yerushalmi? When was the first time I looked at a Talmud Yerushalmi? I haven't looked at a Talmud Yerushalmi. Gimel Matanos Tovos. Three very good presents. Nasan HaKadosh Baruch Yisrael. Did the Holy One, blessed be He, give to the Jewish people? Rachmonin Baishonim Vegomlei Chasodim. He made them merciful, compassionate. He made them able to feel shame. Mm-hmm. and made them doers of chesed. How do we know that God made the Jewish people people who do chesed? And, and, and that this is a great gift. <laughs> so already, right? From the Pasuk, the Talmud quotes this Pasuk, V'shamar Hashem Elokecha es habris es ha-chesed asher nishba lavosecha. God guards the covenant and the chesed which he swore to your forefathers. Rav Hirsch is saying this is a peculiarity. Why is this pasuk used to demonstrate that the Jewish people do chesed? This pasuk is talking about that God has sworn to do chesed to the forefathers. He's, right, go back. Chaste Hashem, that God's kindness is used to refer to the acts of chesed which people are to do. Okay. This way of looking at Chaste Hashem, no, I'm not going to go there yet. Hang on. Okay. I just want to pause here a second. I think that over here, Rav Hirsch has answered the question, which was, what does Vizocher Chaste Avos mean? 
God, I mean, it seems like the standard translation is he remembers his covenant to do chesed with the forefathers. And yet, that's not what the words sound like. The words say he remembers the chesed of the avos, the chesed they did. And we said, last time we talked about what chesed could it be that they did. And that was what we talked about. Okay. But over here we find this is consistent. That's what, that's what Rav Hirsch is telling us. There's a pattern here. I only quoted one example. Okay, he brought five or six examples. But this is the one that he quoted that I'm most familiar with and that I thought we would be familiar with and where he quoted it in enough um, extent so that you can see where the issue is, what he calls the peculiarity. Chaste Hashem can refer to the chesed which people are meant to do. Because chesed is the highest degree of doing good that human beings can accomplish. It's also the highest expression of love that God shows to human beings. And that works on many levels, including the level of being allowed to do chesed for other people. That's what gives our life purpose, right? That was a different essay from a verse. We need like all these pieces to have the whole story here. And yet when we have the whole story, all of a sudden, the chesed that the avos did is the expression of God's love to, to the world. <laughs> by, creating, by creating a Rav Hirsch to give us this unbelievable insight into understanding how we can relate to God, how we can relate to the world, how we can relate to other people, how we can relate to ourselves, how we can relate to Torah and mitzvot, giving us tools to work with so that our lives can become something more. Right? This is chesed. And if we would, uh, this is a person who lived not so long ago in a modern era. But he had, there were avos. We're nothing compared to the avos. It's legitimate to say that Rav Hirsch is a tiny grasshopper compared to the avos. You can say that because, like, Rabbi Akiva said something similar. And Rabbi Akiva was a really, really, really long time before Rabbi Hirsch. <laughs> okay? Rabbi Akiva is like another Matan Torah. Really, he is. Everybody else died. And he brought up five more students. And most of the Torah that we have of Torah Shabbat comes through that channel. All right. These are like, we can't comprehend the chesed that Hashem does in doing his chesed through people. So that's God's chesed. When I receive it from somebody, I need to realize that's Hashem doing the chesed for me. And it's a chesed for the person who's doing the chesed. The opportunity to be that person, to be the bracha, to be a channel of chesed to other people, to have your life make a difference into the world, to have people, what would your life be? Imagine if there were no people, he says. That, what would your life be? It would be empty, it would be lonely, but worse than that, how would you fulfill any sense of mission or purpose? Right? It's a chesed. It's chaste. I, I really think. I really think that this peculiarity is exactly what we're seeing in this bracha. So this was like very exciting to me. He doesn't directly say it to the bracha, but I, I yeah, that's what that is. Okay. It's 10.15. Can I continue a drop? I'm not going to be able to finish all the bits on chesed, but at least I'll finish the bit that came over here. Okay. So this is a continuation of that paragraph, but that was like... It, it goes to a different little bit that ties to it. This way of looking at chastek Hashem could have its root in the point of view that only the ungrudging selfishness of a chassid is fit for the chastek Hashem. Okay, so chassid, not someone who wears like a strimal and a gartel and white socks. 
A person who desires to do chesed for God, only that kind of person, which is a kind of very unselfish person who seeks to do for God and for others, is fit for chaste Hashem. Only such a one would find his richest, most blissful reward in gemilos chasadim. Just in the chaste Hashem, which transcends far beyond his own enjoyment, his own life. I mean, it's only a person who would find that the most blissful reward to be able to do chesed, who is a fit person to perform chaste Hashem, which is perfect. That is a perfect insight, right? It's the person who realizes that this is the ultimate to be able to do chesed, not for self, who's able to do chesed that isn't himself. It's God performing through him. Only a Hanina Bendosa will be filled with the highest bliss when it can be said of him, Kol Ha'olam Kulo, the entire world, Nizon Bishvil Hanina Bini, is fed on, due to, in the merit of Hanina, my child, Vichanina Bini Dayo Bekav Charuvin, Me'erev Shabbos, Le'erev Shabbos. And Hanina, my child, has enough with just one bushel of carobs from one era of Shabbos to the next. It's, it's a certain kind of person. Hanina Bendosa would rejoice and be overcome by God's kindness in that he could say that about him. That a whole world could benefit from God's chesed in the merit of Hanina Bendosa. That's what makes him happy. For him himself, that he's living on carobs all week, it's enough. He's not looking for chesed to himself. The biggest chesed God could give him is that he is a source of chesed to others. That's chaste Hashem. Okay, so we'll stop there. And we will continue next week. I have a little bit more material on the chesed. A little bit, a lot bit more material on the chesed. Um, it's pretty intense, I think. I don't know about you. There's a lot of room here, like, yeah. to... I, I, I wish I had a plan for um, reviewing and internalizing. And I mean, I'm lucky because it's at least the second time I've seen it. <laughs> Maybe the third, some of them I see I copied over and then I highlighted them again. And I still have a long way to go to try and let it sink in. Um, but yeah. Okay, so next week, look forward. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks for starting us on the path. Thank you. Pretty exciting stuff. And thanks for encouraging me to put more Mm -hmm. rings in the binder. (laughs) Bigger binder. (laughs) I don't think they make another size of rings, unfortunately. Uh, They do. (laughs) Bigger than this? I mean, this company doesn't. Yeah, but I think. You think, oh. We may have to go there. I don't know. I, I'm just trying to get this one bracha all in, <laughs> all in one notebook because it's one bracha. I'd rather not split it. Mm-hmm. We shall see. Well, they did have to go to like you know Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Beis. Had to go to you know. Oh, you have giant ones? Yeah. <laughs> I can't even picture. <laughs> uh.
So right. I'm on a more local note. I spoke to yes. Eileen yesterday. Yeah, she's I, speaking she of Chesed, yeah. She hasn't, um, she hasn't been well recently. She's Mrs. Khan just asked, is there such a thing as too much Chesed? So I'm going to read you a little piece that I didn't read mm-hmm. before because it isn't our topic. Our topic yeah. was just chesed v'zocher chaste avos. Could be when we get to Gevura, we would want to come back to that, but okay. Um, how quickly can I get there? Let's see. Um, so much of chesed is in this, yeah. Uh, it's like the world around you where everything is all right. Yeah, so hang on one minute. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay, so I'm going to read you now a, long, a slightly longer passage. This is the one that begins with chesed ve'emes. Mm-hmm. Eliezer thanks Hashem for chesed, for not, not cutting back on his kindness or his love and his truth. What ahava is in feelings, chesed is in deeds. Love translated into action. That was the definition of chesed. Ms is, to a certain extent, a restricting, or at least a limiting addition. Chesed ve'emes is an act of love where the love does not run too close to overlooking the truth, not allowing one's heart to run away with one's head. Human love is blind. It is inclined to accede to the wishes of the beloved one without considering the true worth of the wishes. I think that's what you were saying. Sometimes somebody wants and you just do for them because you love them, but maybe it isn't good for them. Maybe they just want, they want more candy. They want more candy. They want, you know, I mean, I'm using candy as an example, but it can be a lot of other things. God's love is chesed ve'emes. It only grants such wishes in which the truth is conserved. What does that mean? Wishes which truly do lead to happiness. Okay, so you have to have a more nuanced understanding of happiness. You're just talking about pleasure in the moment, right? Elsewhere, Rav Hirsch talked about how you could not possibly compare the pleasure of the moment to the pleasure of knowing that Hashem is giving chesed to you and to all your generations after you. Thus with Yaakov, the care for his burial in general is an act of chesed. The emes, the limitation, the observing the condition, but not in Egypt. That's the emes. So too, what the spies were to do for Rachav is chesed vi emes, a conditional act of kindness. So perhaps here too, because this is talking about the marriage of Yitzchak with Rivka. To see their children married is the dearest wish of parents. If they try to accomplish it at all costs, without consideration of the true essentials, like if it is not a girl with an Abrahamitic disposition, (laughs) right? He said, go, not your child, go to my family and find a wife. Well, then will we take the one from Aner Eshkolum Amre or from Aram? Then they are endeavoring to do chesed without emes. I want to make the child happy. Let me go find them a, a rich, you know, spouse. But Avraham wanted only chesed together with Emes, and both were granted to him by God. Mm-hmm. Right? So that does address it a little bit, right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Very clear. Is <laughs> <laughs> used in places where it means beyond the boundaries. 
Chesed doesn't know boundaries. Chesed, the word chesed does not suggest any boundaries. Right. But it means it's sometimes used when you've gone beyond the boundaries of immorality. And, and right. Um, the so only place I know of that, boundaries are, are I only know of that so. in the description of a brother and a sister having a relationship, not right. elsewhere. Right. So I don't know if that's, it could be that's what it means over there. It's many, 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 many years ago that I did a report on that in school. Mm-hmm. Like, why would it be, right? Why would chesed be used in this case? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It has to do with olam chesed yibone. The world was actually built through siblings marrying each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all exist because of that, because there weren't too many people to yeah, choose yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, chesed itself does not suggest any boundary at all. So it seems like even in that in that phrase of notzer chesed la'alofim, notzer is a shaping or constricting of some sort. But the effect that it appears to have in the way that Rav Hirsch explained it was also a, a slowing down. In other words, by, by narrowing the flow of the chesed, allowing it to reach farther and longer. Right, so now it extends not only to the person but to all the generations afterward. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.